From time to time on the Farcast, we record a segment that we feel is so good, so important, that it is worthy of being circulated on its own. Such is the special guest segment recorded at the beginning of Season 7 with Dr. Jay Bryson, Chief Economist for Wells Fargo. Dr. Bryson, in less than 20 minutes, gives an overview of the difficulty of monetary policy faced by the Federal Reserve and the implications for investors in language we can all understand. And so, here is Dr. Jay Bryson from September 28, 2023, with your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back. I'm Michael Farr, and this is Season 7 of the Farcast. And joining us now, once again, and I think you've done this for seven years too, Jay. I think I think you've it's, probably been with us all seven they, years. They all start to run together after a while, Michael, but it's been a while, that's for sure. It's been a while, and boy, uh, has it been great for us and for our listeners, Jay. We always learn so much. Dr. Jay Bryson, Chief Economist at Wells Fargo. He was on the Federal Reserve, Professor of Economics. I mean, one of the smartest guys we get to talk to. And the thing I love talking, about, talking to you about, uh, Jay, is that you're always so clear. Uh, you make things understandable that are really complex and intimidating for for me anyway. And you've got to make it simple for me, folks. I promise you got to make it simple for far. So uh, we were talking, Jay, with Kenny Polcari, and he said he thinks the Fed made a mistake in pausing and that they should have raised at this last meeting and that if they're going to be data dependent. The data, in fact, was starting to tick up and they should have increased. And I argued with him and I said, no, Kenny, I don't agree with you. I think uh, short term data can be very volatile. But the long-term trend for the inflation numbers is still coming lower, given a 500-plus basis point increase in rates. I think a pause to see what the real lag effect is with real rates actually on the rise made a lot of sense. What do you think? Uh, you know, Michael, I tend to agree with you as well. I mean, it's, it's um, you know, we are starting to slow down um, in the economy. You know, data that printed just recently showed that GDP in the second quarter grew 2% at an annualized rate or 2.1%. I mean, that's, you know, relatively slowly. You know, you mentioned the 525 basis points that the Fed has done. That comes in with a, you know, a, a lag that nobody really knows, you know, how long it is. Um, so I, I think a pause at this point, um, as inflation starts, is receding, is probably the, the right way to go. I mean, if the data over the next few weeks come in, continue to come in strong or are strong over the next few weeks, the Fed can always go on November the 1st. But at this point, you, you probably want to be slowing down the, the, the pace of rate hikes. And if they come in November the 1st and they say, OK, we're going to raise another quarter, that quarter of a point in and of itself isn't going to be all that material to the gross U.S. economy. Is it enough of a sign, uh, which is what they're trying to do, right? I mean, this is sort of how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. I mean, uh, it, it, what... What rate becomes material? Why? What's the point in raising a quarter of a point even on November? Well, it does show that, you know, it does help their credibility. It would help to keep the long end of the yield curve, um, you know, from going out even further at this point. So it certainly helps there. Um, but, you know, what really matters for the real U.S. economy, for real growth at the end of the day, is not that nominal rate, which again, right now is about 550. What really matters at the end of the day is what's called the real Fed funds rate. So that's that rate minus inflation. So, so think about it, right? If you have a real Fed or a nominal Fed funds rate at five and a half percent and inflation is 10%, you know, you're a business 
your your borrowing costs are let's call it five and a half percent. You can raise prices by ten percent. Why wouldn't you take out a loan in that right. situation, right? But if the inflation rate is zero, well, you can't raise prices. Your interest costs are five and a half percent. Now it becomes much more tight, right? And and so that's what matters. And as you know, as we go forward. Even if they keep rates on hold here, as inflation continues to come down, that real rate is going to just is going to go up. Um, and so, what you're going to get in coming months is a passive tightening of monetary policy. The Fed's not hiking rates, but as inflation comes down, the real rate drifts higher, and that puts more and more headwinds on the economy. And that's what you got to be looking at as as we go forward. Do we need the economy to contract here some? I mean, you know, we've always heard the Fed really wants to see the economy grow and 2% inflation is their target year in and year out. How slow, I mean, we've got this inflation that's been running hot, well above that 2% number. How slow does the economy have to get in order to resume something close to that 2% level? Do we have to go into recession? No, we don't necessarily have to go into a recession. And that's, you know, all this hope about a so-called soft landing. But what you do need to do is the economy is probably operating above potential right now. And the way I well, the reason I say that is if you look at the unemployment rate, this would be a good way to measure it. The unemployment rates at 3.8% right now. Most people would say that if you want to call it the natural rate of unemployment, um, you know, that's probably somewhere between four and four and a half percent. And so what you need to do is you need to slow the economy enough to have that unemployment rate come back up to that natural rate. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to have a contraction. But what you have to do is you have to grow below the potential growth rate of the economy. And what's that? Well, unfortunately, we don't know. It's unobservable. But most people would peg it right now, maybe between one and a half and two percent. So the bottom line here is you need to grow less than that. You need to grow, let's call it one percent for a few quarters in order to bring that unemployment rate back up to, to bring your inflation rate down to two percent. And you know what? That's a really tricky thing to do. If, if you're the Federal Reserve and all you have is the blunt instrument of of the Fed funds rate, which operates with long and variable lags. And taking that unemployment, this is brilliant, absolutely brilliant, Jay, so clear. Ladies and gentlemen, if sort of that, I'm sorry, if that somehow went over your heads, go back, hit replay right now, go back 60 seconds or 90 seconds and listen to what he said again, and then listen to it again. One of the more important things you're going to hear anywhere in the media, he just explained it beautifully. Jay, uh, if, if I look at that uh, unemployment rate, I remember two things, and I, and I interpret it this way. I want you to just tell me if I'm on base. One, I remember that you are the only economist I continue to read who says we've never had a recession without unemployment going up at least a half a point. And we need to see that if we're going to have that. It has gone up at least from three and a half to 3.8. Uh, do you still look for that number one? And then number two, if we're looking for why, I'm thinking about why we need to see unemployment go a little bit higher. And my answer intuitively is it has to go higher 
So the pressure to give raises goes away. If there are more people who are unemployed, they will be willing to take whatever wage they can get. And then Walmart doesn't have to keep paying raises. And if Walmart doesn't have to keep raise, paying raises, then they don't have to keep raising prices. And that wage inflation leads to other price inflation. And that's when things can kind of calm down and get us out of this inflationary spiral higher. If I got it right or what am I missing? Overly no, you, you, yeah, you've you've got it right. I mean, let's go back to that first thing. Yes, yeah, so if you go back and this is the what's called the, the Psalm rule. Um, if you go back and you look at um we have never whenever the unemployment rate in this country has gone up by a half a percent, um, you end up uh with a uh with a recession. Okay. And so people will, will say to me sometimes, well, even the, the unemployment rate's at three and a half percent. Um, how can you get a recession? And the answer is it doesn't, the level of the unemployment rate doesn't matter. It's the change. So if you think about it, if we, you know, if we have to go up by a half a percent point or so, you're, you're probably going to have a bunch of layoffs in that situation. And as people get laid off, they don't have as much money to spend somewhere else in the economy. And then that causes the whole economy to, to start to, to contract potentially. Now, just because in the past it's gone up by half a percent and we've had a recession doesn't necessarily mean it has to happen this time, right? This time could be different. Um, I mean, we'll 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 see. But you know, to get to your point about the uh, you know to the wages, I mean, that's you had it exactly right. I mean, what you need to do is you need to generate some slack in the labor market uh, for wages to moderate. Wages don't have to fall; they just had you know, and rather than have a year over year increase of four and a half percent, we need to get that down to three to three and a half percent. Because it, it, so when you think about the US economy, we are what a service economy, right? Of more than 60% of our spending is on services. What's the biggest cost component for most service providers? It's wages and salaries. Yep. Okay. And so that's why in order to get the inflation rate down to 2%, you know, you've got to get moderation in terms of prices in the service sector, and it boils down to moderation in terms of wages. Yep. I, I mean, this this all makes so much sense to me. Jay, I'm going to ask you a broader question now. So it sounds to me, before I, let me, let me put a little bit of a bow on this. It sounds to me that you think that while they may have made certain errors here and there, in general, the Fed is where they should be right now. Yeah, in general, right? So if you and I had this conversation a year ago, and I'm sure we did, um, you know, I would have said, you know, they they were behind the curve. I mean, everyone yes. acknowledges that, right? They they yes. waited too long to raise rates. Okay, but if you look at the say the last, you know, uh, since over the last year or so, by bringing rates up as rapidly as they did, they have increased the probability of a soft landing. Uh, you know, what you don't want to do is keep rates on hold uh, forever and then have to jack them up by a thousand basis points. That's that's where you're going to get a recession. You could potentially bring the economy in for a soft landing here, doing what they did. I'm still a little bit skeptical that's going to happen, but, you know, I would be the first to acknowledge that the probability has gone up. You have for years made me feel a little bit better about a little bit better not a lot better you've made me feel a little bit better about this uh the amount of the u.s debt which still i know I, and this is probably because i'm unsophisticated but it worries the hell out of me 
to see the debt increasing and $33 trillion in debt and having us continue to add to this debt the way that we are just seems entirely unsustainable to me. It, it goes against sort of every bit of just common old horse sense that I have. And I don't have much more than common old horse sense here, Jay. <laughs> I'm limited as to what I can rely on. Uh, uh, are, are, is there a point where you get worried about it? Are you not worried about it? And, and why should I not be worried about $33 trillion in growing debt? Okay, so first of all, what I would say to you is, ignore the $33 trillion, right? Um, because I'll give you another number. It's not as big as that, but that's 26 trillion. That's the size of the US economy, right? So you've got to be, you have to scale the amount of debt out there by by something. Um, and, and we usually do that by GDP. Think of a, of a business, right? I would I can say to you, Michael, I know a business has a billion dollars of debt. Is that a lot? I think your first question to me would be, well, it depends on what the business is, right? I right. mean, if it's Exxon Mobil, a billion dollars is pocket change, Nothing. right? If it's a mom and pop retailer down the street, a billion dollars is probably excessive. So right. you've got to scale it with something. We do that with GDP. But even then, you know, it's it's the highest it's been since, um, you know, the end of the Second World War. Okay, now, so do I worry about it? In the, in the near term, no. Is this, you know, are we looking at a Lehman Brothers moment for us here in the United States in the foreseeable future? No, because there's no alternative to U.S. Treasury securities. U.S. Treasury securities are the deepest, uh, the, that the market for U.S. Treasury securities is the deepest, most liquid, most transparent financial market in the world. There's nothing that comes close to U.S. Treasury securities. So, you know, and you and you look at it right now, um, you know, yes, yields are up in the United States, but it's because the Fed's been tightening. It's not like we're getting a massive foreigners are dumping their U.S. dollar debt. The dollar, the dollar is really strong right now. OK, so there's no indication really of that. There's no indication that that's happening yet. However, um, you know, if this continues, if we don't start to have, I'll call it an adult conversation in Washington about what sort of fiscal, you know, how we're going to bring this about because, you know, Michael, at the end of the day, it's folks like you and me um, and people who are older than us, it's it's all about Medicare and Social Security. It's the entitlements, yep. right? Yep. And we haven't talked. I said that this morning on the fire. As I started the forecast, I said, "Look, we've got to address entitlement. We've got to address a number of things. But these entitlements, we can't afford the money we're spending. We can't afford it." Yeah. Right. So, do you know? So, when I do I lay awake at night worrying about this today? No. But if you know, under the current projections, this the debt and the debt, more importantly, the debt to GDP ratio of the country is going to continue to go up. And what's going to also another problem is as if interest rates stay high and they probably will, then the interest rate cost of the U.S. government goes up and then you start to squeeze out other sorts of things. Right. Does it squeeze out defense spending? Does it squeeze out um, infrastructure sort of spending? Does it mean that you have to raise taxes? I mean, these are all, you know, interesting policy sorts of questions. So. Um, it, it constrains what you, uh, we as a public can do going forward if you continue to run up you know, debt the, the way we have. Do you care about Reinhardt and Rogoff's report years ago that showed that when you get a, over 100 percent debt to GDP? That no, no, I, I don't care about that. Um, I mean, you can still have <laughs> you can still have outliers. I mean, look at look, I mean, no. 
you know, I'm not just trying to disparage Ken Rogoff or Carmen Reithardt. They're brilliant economists. Brilliant right? economists, okay, yeah. right? But okay, so look at look at Japan. You know, I'll just give you one outlier: the debt to GDP ratio. So in our country, the debt to GDP ratio today is roughly 100. percent Look at Japan; it's 250 percent. Ten-year government bond yields in Japan are uh, last time I looked, 60 basis points. Right. It's nothing. Right. Right. So, uh, and, and Japan. You know, we've been talking about. Japan's pro debt problems for years, it hasn't come home to roost yet. Yeah. Will it eventually? Yeah. But uh, I think that that situation, you know, I, I, you know, if we were a developed developing country and we had to borrow in somebody else's currency, then I worry about it. But we borrow in our own currency. The U.S. dollar is and will remain for as far as I can see, the world's re predominant reserve currency, investors around the world want to hold U.S. Treasury securities. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you that you just listened to a master class in economics explaining the U.S. economic situation from Dr. Jay Bryson that people would flock to at every economics department at every major university in this country. And most of the Federal Reserve economists would like to hear what he just said too. Jay, I can't thank you enough. What a great explanation. I want you to come back and I wanna talk about China and why I think Xi Jinping is so misguided in trying to uh, uh, basically ignore his economy. Um, uh, no margin, no mission, you know, I, that's, a, that's an issue. Can we do that sometime? Happy to uh, happy to talk about China. I have some uh, I have some opinions on China as well. So excellent. I thought maybe you would, uh, Dr. Jay Bryson, chief economist at Wells Fargo, and from all of us at the Farcast, we wish you many blessings and much congratulations. Uh, coming up, ladies and gentlemen, Jay's daughter will be married this weekend. Who's a great friend of our families. Uh, and it's going to be beautiful and a wonderful celebration. And we're all going to be raising our glasses to you. Thank you so much, Jay. Well, thanks, Michael. Appreciate it. That's it for another forecast as we cover Wall Street, Washington, and the world here in season seven, seven years of this, folks. Here we go. And we couldn't do it without you. Please share us on your social media. Tell your friends that you learned something today on the forecast. I know I did. We'll see you next week. For Harry Jennings, our producer, and everybody at Hightower Advisors, Farmiller in Washington, thank you so much, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening in to this special guest segment from the Farcast. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform to get more every week. Insight from Wall Street, Washington, and the world, it's the Farcast. Farm Miller in Washington is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors, LLC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. All information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors, LLC have not independently verified the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors, LLC and any of its affiliates make no representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of this information. 
Farm Miller and Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC and any of its affiliates assume no liability for any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to the information. This podcast and the materials contained herein were created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Bar Miller and Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented in any way to any entity as tax or legal advice. Clients are urged to consult their tax and or legal advisors for related questions.